Brilliant. Perfect. We are in the final part of our parable series, and then we're getting stuck into a new one next week, which we'll tell you more about. We're going to be going through as a church, but I've loved going through the series. I've loved seeing what God's spoken to us through the stories that Jesus gave. If you don't know many parables or you, you want to find out more, you can find that out in a study Bible. You can search for online amazing stories that Jesus shared with us, and I've loved the journey God's taken us on. So it wasn't set about which parables should have been covered, but I love how we've looked at the state of our hearts, the parable of the soul. Where are we before God? Are our hearts soft? Are our, are our hearts hard? And then we dived into looking at what is God's heart towards us? What is the heart of love towards us in the prodigal son? And where do we sit in those two camps? Are we a little bit on the religious side and we're sitting going, I'm kind of perfect. Um, those people aren't. God should accept me because I'm a good person. We're on the side of saying, my life is just too bad. I've, done, I've messed up too much. God would never accept me. And actually it's saying for both sets of us, we really need Jesus. And he really loves us. And he's waiting on the horizon to come home. And then last week, uh, Dave covered the parable of the vineyard and God's grace and how we can compare ourselves to others and what somebody else gets and what I didn't get. But actually God's the one who chooses and he's the one who opens up uh, his, um, himself to us. And every act from God is an act of generosity. Come in, come in, come in. Give it up for the Wilcox. Well done, well done, well done. Second row, second row, I'll go for it. <laughs> it's got to be done, guys. It has to be done. We've got to celebrate. We're all family here. This is like our lounge. So everybody's welcome all the time. So we've got to embrace all the time. Okay, so that's what we looked at. <laughs> We're family, guys. It's great. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, I would love you to turn to Matthew 5. And I think this is really where the Lord's closing this out for us. Uh, and actually, uh, it does happen sometimes. And you, you, you have to get used to this. But I did the full preach prep and did it all. And I felt on Thursday that the Holy Spirit was like, actually, no, that's not what I want you to cover. And so then I just did a rework on Friday and Saturday. And so we have to be open to what the Holy Spirit uh, says. So if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen. If you want to find a Bible, there's great ones at the back. There's apps to download. But this passage is a start of what many people uh, may have heard of. as something called the Sermon on the Mount. And the verses that we're going to read and that then cover the rest of the chapter are considered to be some of the purest teachings ever given. Even people who aren't Christ followers would say an awful lot of the moral code of society, a lot of what society has been built on, at least earlier society, is now being eroded, comes out of this passage here, comes out of Matthew 5. The purest teachings the world's seen, they're the foundation of many laws, they show politicians the way of proper governance, they're the building blocks for healthy society, and they have been for many years. So we're going to read together, Matthew 5, verse 1. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so that's the intro to the parable that we're going to be speaking on. But I want you to note the start. I love it. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus was never about the crowds. He was never about the spotlight. They were there. But the crowds were after the miracles. They were after the signs. They were after what Jesus could give them. An external thing. Solve my problem. Give me money that I don't have. Fix my injury. That, that's a problem. That's what the crowds were after. And the symbol of the crowds in scripture. They were eager for the next miracle. But Jesus was after those who really wanted him. Those who were seeking him for who he is. For the person. For the character of God himself. And so the challenge for each of us as we start today's message is are we the crowd or are we the disciples? Are we coming to Christ because of what we can get? We want him to be our genie. He needs to solve our problem. Jesus, you need to solve my relational problem. You need to solve my sickness and disease. You need to solve the issues of my life. Does he do that? Yes, he loves us. But is that primarily why we should come to him? No, it's because we can have an encounter with the living God. It's because we need him for a lot greater things. And so that's what his disciples were coming to him for. And so he knew they were friends. They were his friends. They knew him for him. And so he would speak to the crowds, but he would withdraw. And in this moment, he withdraws to speak to his disciples about his heart for them and how he would like them to live. So I want us to draw close to God this morning. I want us to set aside our distractions, and I want us to draw close. I want to come to him and say, God, what do you want to say to me? Maybe it's for the first time today you're saying, I've never been to church, Craig. You can still be open and say, for the first time, what might God, if he's alive, if he's here today, what might he want to say to me? So Jesus sits down with his disciples and he presents a counter-cultural way of life. He shares the hard characteristics of those who are part of his kingdom. That's what he opens up here in this first bit. He's saying, if you are part of my kingdom, this is kind of your heart state. It's a state of humility. It's a state of being passionate about God's kingdom and living for him. It's a state of knowing that actually persecution is going to come. He speaks of being desperate for God, overflowing with mercy, being humble, living for peace, facing persecution for Christ. And he keeps repeating this word blessed. And blessed is really, if you look at the translation, it, it comes across a lot better if we were to say joyful or if we were to say happy. And so is he saying you'll be happy and excited when you're persecuted, when things are going tough? No, he's saying that there's this deep-seated joy when you're living the kingdom life God's called you to. And so despite of what you're going through, despite of what circumstances, you actually live joyful. You live excited. You live happy. You live blessed because he's in your heart. Then he says that there's reward for all eternity. And so these words would have shocked his Jewish followers because his disciples would have been used to the Jewish system, which was ticking the box kind of faith. The Jewish system was, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to pay the sacrifice, and then God will accept you. There's many religions that operate like that today. The problem with it is you never really know if you've done enough to be accepted one day. So if you talk to people who live according to the system, you'll say, so, so, so is your goodness good enough? And one day when you die, will you be accepted? And they, well, I don't know, but I just trust that I'm on the, the top end of the curve. Everybody else will be apart from God, but I, I trust I'm good enough to make it. Scary way to live. But that's how the religious people of the day, the Jewish people of the day, would have been living. And so Jesus' disciples, this would have shocked them to go, but what do you mean? It's about my heart. It's about my heart state. It's about being merciful. It's about being humble. We thought it was about ticking the box. It would have shocked them, um, but it would have sparked interest. They would have leaned in to see what Jesus was about to say next. And they would have been asking the question, 
That's fine, Jesus, but what you're asking of us is a lot more difficult than the rules and regulations we've been following. Because you're asking us to operate out of where our hearts are. It's easy to operate not from where our hearts are, but you're asking us to operate and live a life that comes from the inside out. And they would have been wondering, how do we live this out? What does this mean for my family, for my friendships, for my business, for the marketplace? What does it mean to live out your kingdom, my involvement in the community? How will I outwork this? And so knowing all of these questions, as Jesus does, nothing that we ask, nothing that we do will ever catch him by surprise. Knowing all of those things, he used another parable. He used the metaphor of salt and light to get across an explanation of life in his kingdom. And this is what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, if it has lost its taste, how shall it be salty, its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're going to look at salt. We're going to look at light. But right at the start of those two, I love it where he says, you are the salt and you are the light. Isn't it refreshing to know that Jesus tells us who we are in him? He's the one who decides. We're going to find out what salt and light is, but he's the one who says you are salt and you are light as Christ follows. Friends, we need to take our value of who we are from Christ. Not from social media, not from accomplishments, not from how successful we are, not from negative words of others that have been said over our lives, what a parent said to us when we were 12, 13, 14. Maybe there's some of you who still believe you are what was said over you when you were a young child. And it wasn't a great thing that was said over you, but some of you here still believe that's who I am because that's what that, what that person said I was. No, we are who we are because of what Jesus says about us. Not news stations, not self-help speakers. Jesus created you. He loves us. He tells us who we are. And he tells us we're many things. He says we're sons and daughters of God. He says that he's got a home prepared for us. He says that we're uh, many different things. In this passage, he says we are salt and we are light. But why salt? So I've got some rock salt here. Don't worry, we do have a headset mic coming soon, and then we won't have to do all this awkward stuff. It's just taking a bit of time. And on that, I just have to highlight this as well. I won't single the person out. But we keep having this, and I'm just loving it. There was someone who said, you know, guys... We, we, I just think you might need another HDMI splitter for those who are non-technologically minded like me. That's this beautiful box which we have over here and it splits to the different TVs. I just, I really felt that you might need this and you might need this for your laptop. So I, I just bought this and it's here, it's a gift. Just take it and use it for God's kingdom. And it just keeps happening all the time. And I'm just blown away with people saying, how can we be involved? How can we be involved in what God's doing? And so that person knows who they are. And I say, thank you. And thank you for your heart for the kingdom. But it's just so special to see. So I wanted to highlight it. Anyway, so the, the headset, that's a long way of saying the headset's coming soon. People have given us money for that, which is amazing. And so we were going to have that coming as well. So we thank God for his generosity. But anyway, salt, and I got some awesome rock salt uh, over here as well, which we love to use as a family, although I think this is actually dishwasher salt. But anyway, uh, probably not as clean as um, eating on your salad. But the point is it's over here, this nice rock salt, which would have been a lot more what would have been used in the day. 
uh, in Jesus' day. So in the ancient world, salt was very valuable. In fact, the Greeks thought it contained something of a divine nature. That's what the Greeks thought. The Greeks thought actually within salt, there's something almost spiritual. There's something divine. Rome sometimes paid their soldiers wages in salt. That was the value of it. It was tradable. It was an important commodity of the day. It had many uses, which it still does today. But the two key purposes in Jesus' day would have been to preserve, so to preserve products, to preserve meat, to preserve seafood and fish to last longer, and to bring flavor. So to preserve and to bring flavor. You see, due to lack of refrigeration, particularly in the hot Middle East climate where Jesus lived, meat would have rotted so quickly. You wouldn't have thought that uh, if you go to places like uh, um, Kenya, places like Madagascar, where the meat just hangs, you know, on the side of the street and it's covered in dust and it's out there and people are buying it at the end of the day. And those guys are brave and their bodies are strong. But <laughs> I think half of that meat is rotten. Um, would have rotted even quicker in the hotter climates. And so salt was an essential agent to both speed up the curing process, which we would know from those who like bultong or dried, other dried meats, um, but also to prevent bacterial growth. The salt coats the meat, actually prevents bacteria from getting there. Without salt, in a matter of hours, the meat would be unusable, it would be dangerous for human consumption, and we still use that for its preservation power today. But not only that, salt is used to enhance the flavor of food. It's got the capability of extracting flavor from food. So salt doesn't only bring its own flavor, but actually it brings out other flavor profiles within food. And so for those of you who might love MasterChef, Sarah and I are MasterChef addicts. Uh, we absolutely love watching it. Uh, MasterChef, all the chefs say all the time, they're saying to the contestants, season, season, season. Do it before the food comes out. And what they mean is salt and pepper, salt and pepper, but primarily salt. As you go through the di dish, keep adding it. Salt will bring out the flavor profiles of everything else. So it's, an, it's incredibly powerful in flavor. And it never gets old. We don't tire of seasoning our food, and we most definitely will notice if salt is not there. So in God's kingdom, the parable, the metaphor that Jesus is getting across is as Christ follows living, living out his kingdom, there's two things when it comes to salt that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to preserve culture, we're supposed to preserve the kingdom culture, and at the same time, we're supposed to bring flavor to the world in which we live. But how are we, what are we supposed to preserve? How are we supposed to preserve well, the kingdom culture way of life is what Jesus called us to. It's how he created the world. It's what Jesus was living there. And he was saying, you need to emulate how I am living this different way of life. The way of life he described in the Beatitudes earlier. And so where this fallen world, much like a, a lump of meat, is prone to decay. It's prone to disease. It's prone to actually damaging and destroying us if we take too much of it. The world in which we live is like that lump of meat. What's the point of the salt? We're supposed to be the ones who wrap around it, who preserve the healthy aspects of society. We maintain things as they should be, and we protect the world from the evil forces that are at play, and they're at play. If any of you thinks this world is a good place to live, it's getting better. It's not. It's getting worse. It's most definitely getting worse. It doesn't matter the amount of chat GPT or however you say it and, and bots and all those sorts of things that are happening. Yes, there's great technological advances. They're not going to make the world a better place to live. It's going to get worse and worse. Why? Because the issues of our world are not external. They're issues of the heart. And that's why our world is going to continue to corrupt. But we have a role to play as Christ followers in maintaining as much as possible in bringing in the sense of order and preserving God's culture. 
We're called to preserve the way of the kingdom. What are some of the ways this looks like? Well, it's to preserve the evidence of the miraculous creation of our world. You don't see that in any textbooks anymore. You don't see that in many junior school textbooks, senior school textbooks. We, we just see evolutionary theory. But actually, we're called as Christ followers to present and to display the creative power of God, to see it all around us. We're asked to do that in the world. We didn't come by accident. We were created by God to preserve biblical sexuality. God made man and woman in his image. We're male and female by birth as Jesus created us. He calls us to preserve what he's created through, um, through the world in which he's made. Marriage between a man and a woman. Parenting. Raising children in a way that honors Jesus. Treating people as equal value, equal value in our sight, in God's sight, regardless of wealth, education, skin color. The famous people like Martin Luther King, this is what they fought for, to preserve kingdom culture in a world where it was being eroded and where it had been eroded. So God calls us to come in and usher in that culture to protect it. Businesses that operate ethically, that don't rip off customers, that don't treat staff badly, that people look in and say, that's the way a business should operate. That's the way a, a business should operate. That's how it should have been happening from before time began. So we're asked to do. We're the preservers of a way of life mapped out in Scripture. And the world is in moral and spiritual decline. But wherever we are as Christ followers, we're called to preserve what we can and where we can to give people a chance to see the kingdom of God in action. But not only do we preserve, we're to bring the flavor of Christ. We're to bring the exciting, refreshing life to people's world that, um, that when people come into contact with us, they just sense that there's something different. You see, when we live with God's character on display, with his attitude, with his way of living, it is markedly different to the rest of society. Markedly different if we live as Christ has called us to. And it should show. We should be the most joyful people around. That's what I would love for people to say about anyone who calls hope home. Regardless of the mess and the issues that we have in our lives, I'd love people to say, do you know what? I think some of those people at Hope Church are a bit wacky. I think the pastor's pretty wacky as well. I don't agree with everything that they do, but there's one thing that I see in them, and that is that those people overflow with joy. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it comes from, but those are the happiest people on earth. They're real about their circumstances. They're honest about bad days, but man, they're full of joy. That is what I would love people to say about Hope Church. That can only come from Jesus, but that's bringing flavor. In a world that's prone to depression, a world that's prone to anxiety, bringing flavor is actually having the joy of Christ. And what is it not to be joyful about when we have eternity with him that can be home? Not a positivity mindset, but a Christ-filled, abundant life. It just feels different when, that people, when those people are around. I'd love our friends and our families to be saying, we just want to be in those guys' homes because, man, they're full of joy. We leave their house feeling so refreshed. We leave just wanting more. The afternoon just disappeared. Why? Because we were talking about the coronation. Um, <laughs> there were some cool elements to it. Uh, I agree. But, you, you know, not because of that. No, there was just something about them that was joyful. We want, them in our, we want their kids in our home. There's something different about those people. They brighten our day. They're peacemakers. They're comforters. God calls us to add flavor. We can't force it, but as we draw close to Jesus, he helps us to, outlive, to live that out, and it's infectious. We're called to bring a joy and a purpose for life that doesn't need any other additives to bring the joy. Just by the virtue of Christ within us and his radical grace, it means that we can laugh 
It means we can tell jokes. It, mean, it means that we can be the happiest and most fun people to be around. We don't need to add alcohol for the mood. We don't need to. We, don't, we, we can have the most amazing bride, the most amazing dinner without alcohol. I'm not, saying it's, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying we can do it and we can love it and we can have a great evening. Why? Because we don't need alcohol to help us enjoy life. That's what, that's, what, that's what Christ can truly do within us. He can do that. We don't need to have music playing all the time from our Bluetooth speaker, wherever we are, whether we're fishing, whether we're in the bush in Wangi, just we don't need to have that all the time as a filler because we just can't be in silence anymore. You know, I love music as well. I mean, I play it often, but, but we, we, we're prone to being a people, particularly as younger millennials and Gen Zs, we actually can't be in silence might actually have to have a deep conversation with someone we might actually have to sit and to be quiet enough for God to speak to us but we're just terrified of that so we just have to fill it with noise whenever we drive our car noise whenever we have a, a bride noise we can't have silence we actually need to ask why what's missing in our lives that we have to have things all the time that fill it and if you're starting to ask that ask Jesus test it out for a while have a get-together no alcohol, no music, and just see if you can have a great time. And if you can't, and if you really struggle to have a great time, there's a problem. You can test it. We can chat more. But Christ is enough, and society should notice. It should be very clear that we're different to those who are not Christ followers. Not stuck up and weird, but different. Able to live a life of joy without other things. See, salt has a positive influence. It adds to food that it flavors. We should do the same. Everyone we come into contact with should be better for having ever met us. Everyone we come into contact with as a Hope Church family should go, man, my life is better. It's positively influenced because that person is my friend, because I did a business deal with that person, because that person cared for me when my car tire had gone flat. I'm a better person as a result. Christ should rub off and leave a wonderful flavor in everybody's lives we come into contact with. People who are searching, who are seeking for more. One comment I would add. Has anyone show of hands, either because someone did it as a prank, I might have done this in my earlier years, or because it just happened, had one of those salt grinders, and either it was a prank and, and, and it just went all over, or you did it by mistake. Anyone done it in a restaurant? I've done it a few times. A few of you guys. Shame. Pray for deliverance and help for you guys later. It's awkward times. Anyway, I've done that as well. The reason why I just share that, because it's, it's just so interesting, is that salt poured onto a meal like that actually makes it ineditable. Edit, inedible. Editable. You can always edit a meal, hey? Sometimes. Inedible. Am I saying that we need to hold back on displaying Jesus to the world? Not at all. But do we need wisdom on how we say things, on when we say things, on how and when to act as Christ followers? Yes. Because there's nothing more terrible than getting your meal doused in salt. But there's nothing more beautiful than having just the right amount. And so as Christ followers, we need God's wisdom in the world in which we live, as we live out his kingdom, to say, God, actually, when do I share something? When don't I? When do I just act? When do I speak? He'll show it to us so that our salt levels are right. We need his guidance to bring helpful change to the world. Not to Bible bash, not to speak all the time, not to be irrelevant, not to speak in a way that doesn't make sense, to be understood in a way that's right and true that will lead people to Christ. We need God's help for that. We also need to live in the world, but not of it. For salt to be effective, it has to come into contact with the meat, with the product. 
Salt can't be effective by going, I just so would love to, you know, just getting this piece of salt and we've got some steak over here and just saying, I'd just love to season it. Sorry, Ryan, I'll clean up the salt, I promise. Um, you know, I just love to season my piece of steak over there and just by pouring it here, it's just making such a difference. Of course, that's just silly. We're called to be in society as Christ follows. We can't bring flavor. We can't bring any change. We can't do anything if we're actually separated from the very place where we're supposed to preserve and we're supposed to bring change. We have to be in the mix of society to make a difference for Christ. No safe faith group bubbles. No living in Christian community isolation. We have to come into contact with society, but we have to remain salty. We've got to be in contact with society, but as the promise comes in Scripture there, if we lose our saltiness, what's the point? What is the point of living in a world when we've lost our flair of Christ in our lives? For the Great Commission to take place, for disciples to be made of all nations, it means that people far from Christ have to have a relationship built with them. That means time, it means friendships, it means building friendships, connecting with people we don't usually connect with. Who is it that the Lord's leading you to spend time with today? If you've been invited by a friend, maybe for the first time today, I want to say well done to your friend. I want to say well done for saying yes to coming. That's just maybe a little bit of an example of a friend who loves you enough, who cares for you enough to say, hey, I want you to meet the one who's changed my life. I want you to meet and get to know the one who's changed everything in me. And so be open to that today. But who's Jesus asking you to invite along to hope, to have a coffee conversation with? We need to be in the world to make a difference. If we stop preserving and if we stop bringing flavor, we lose the purpose and power of the advance of the kingdom of God. So don't allow that to happen. How do you stop that happening? Just get close to Jesus. It's not by trying harder. It's just by coming to him each day, coming to him when you're driving to work, coming to him when you go to sleep at night and just say, God, I need you. Would you help me? Would you help me to live this life? Would you help me to stay salty, stay expectant, and he'll do it. He says that you are salty. It's who he's made us to be. It's how he's called us to live. Next one, light. Got about 10 minutes left, so that should pop. So there you go, salt, preserve, flavor. Next one, light. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Ah, Killian, or Trevor, can you come and light this? Because you'll be so good at it. I'm sure you, look at that. I'll even stand it up for you. Then I'll keep talking. I hope Trevor will be good at this. I really prayed about who to ask to come up and do that. And I really thought the Holy Spirit led me to, look at this. Is he leading me to you? Look at this. Even Zim matches. And I'm sure, look at that. It's already lit. Give it up for Trevor, everybody. Well done. Trevor, thank you. So appreciate that. With Zim matches, without a lighter, what a great job. Okay, there we go. So we have our uh, light as well. And no fire alarms, I hope. Is this legal? It's fine. Okay, great. So we live in a world of instant light. That's the world that we live in. Well, for the most part, depending on where you live and if you have solar or not. So if you don't have solar and you don't live in a place of good uh, light, um, light isn't instant for you. And it probably consists of uh, frantically flicking certain switches down, racing outside, shouting at the generator that won't start instantly, remembering that you didn't fill it up with fuel, racing to the garage, pouring in fuel, pouring it all over the generator, um, which is covered in dust as well. 
racing back inside, hitting the changeover switch, and then you have instant light. So that's for people who obviously, you know, either have bad power or they don't have solar yet. So you guys know the story. It's not instant. It's like about a seven-minute light from when you want to have it and you don't. But even in that case, we still experience light. Even if you're running generators or it's a cloudy day and solar is not working or those sorts of things, we still have the opportunity to experience light that floods a room. Instant light that will flood an entire room. You see, in biblical times, the only light available would have consisted of very small lamps like this candle. That was the light that you had when it got dark at night. And so you would either have to have an awful lot of them, but that oil got costly. Most of the time, it would have been one or two lamps in a certain prominent place that shares you in the house, just to give you enough to see each other while you chatted, maybe to read something, you'd have to get really close. But, but it would have been something just to give enough light to get you to dinner time, to be able to see each other around a meal. But it wasn't something that brought a huge amount of light to you. It was a central focus point. It would have showed a safe path to walk on through the house. It allowed you to see, but only if you were close to it. It was an essential part of every home, and it most definitely wasn't a huge light. It would have been a small light in the home. And so Jesus gets logical, and he says, it's obvious that a city on a hill is in plain view to everyone around. Then he uses a bit of humor, and he says, you know, it's a bit, it's, it would be re- pretty strange if you have this lamp in your house like this, and then what you do is you cover it with a bowl so no one can see it, in your home. He's being a bit humorous, which Jesus was, and he's just saying, what's the point? Why would you do that? That would be a rather strange thing for you to do. And so he rounds off the story by saying, when you live for God's kingdom as Christ followers, it's as though you are a city on a hill. You're putting yourself in a place for other people to see. It's as though you are the single light in a dark room that people are looking towards, that's pointing and showing people the way to live. You're providing a focus point, a way of life, a clear path to those who don't yet have the light in them, but are interested to see what it does. He's saying it would be crazy if you were to hide that truth. He's saying it would be absolutely illogical if us as Christ followers, those in this room are Christ followers, were to hide the light of the kingdom that we possess. He's saying, why would you do that? Why would you hide it away? Why would you cover it with a bowl? Of course you wouldn't do that. So he's asking this rhetorical question. Don't hide the reality of Jesus in your life. Show it to the world. If you're a Christ follower, you are light. And light brings both impact and direction. It's contrast to the darkness, and it allows us to see. And light in the darkness is unmistakable. It's impossible to hide. It will be seen. And that's the same for us as Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, you will stand out. There's no ways you can blend in if you're living a life for Christ. Impossible. You will look absolutely different to society. Sure, there's some elements that will be the same, but it's impossible to blend in when light comes into contact with darkness. It's inevitable. People will notice. They may ask questions. You may get shunned, but you will stand out. And if you aren't standing out, if you're kind of going, but it just kind of feels to me like my life's kind of the same as everybody else's and my friends, whether they attend church or not, it's kind of the same. The question you need to ask yourself is why? Or how can it be different? Or how is Jesus asking you to live if your light is kind of looking more like society than more like Scripture? So there's a question for you to ask there. Because Jesus' kingdom 
is an upside down kingdom. It's completely opposite to the world in which we live. It means we view the world as Christ follows in a completely different way through an absolutely different perspective and lens to the rest of society. And that will change the focus of your marriage. It will change how you raise your children. It'll change the hobbies that you count as valuable. It'll change the focus of your business, your holidays, your finance. Everything changes when you come to Christ. Everything changes. Your whole perspective on the world changes. So let's think through a few examples as we close of light interacting with darkness. I mean, so imagine you're having a drink with one of your uh, friends after golf, or maybe you are uh, out on a fishing trip and you're having a drink on the boat, and um, you know your friend says, hey, Mikey, um, what's your vision for your business for the next five years? Just tell me, like, what are you thinking of your business? You know, how would you like it to grow? And you say, well, I, I want to make as much profit as possible. He's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Um, whilst caring for my employees as in the best possible way. Uh, mm. Okay, I don't know if I agree with that, but okay, fine. You know, maybe you want to do that. You know, that, that's what he says to you as Mikey. Um, and then you say, so I can spend my profit on greater business growth. He's like, mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. So that I can invest more in seeing God's kingdom extend in the world. And he'd be like, yeah, and you'd be like, I'm so pumped. I'm so excited. And he would stop you and just say, have you lost your mind? What are you talking about? Why would you possibly be living for something like that? Why would that be the focus of your business? He would ask you those questions. He's like, haven't you drunk too much? You'd be like, honestly, you know, I've had one drink. You know, you've seen me, you know, we're fine. He's like, but what are you talking about? We're living for a different world. Our focus is absolutely different as Christ follows. Ladies, maybe you're having coffee out somewhere or at a friend's house. You're discussing universities for your children now or one day. And, you know, friends are talking and they're like, I mean, it's got to be either Stellenbosch. That's kind of like one of the last hangouts. Maybe Australia, maybe the UK, you know, maybe USA. And we're all saving for this now. We're preparing for our kids. They've got to do their SATs. They have to do this. Um, we've got to get yourselves to the best place to have the hope of progressing. Got to get the best degree in the best place. And they sort of turn to you and they'll be like, hey, but what about your daughter? You know, what's your plans? You know, where you're going? And you're like, well, our daughter's kind of thinking that maybe she'd like to go to a Bible college or maybe she'd like to go to, you know, missionary school. And, and then she kind of wants to go wherever the greatest need is in the world. She kind of wants to go where the, the need is. And you know, your friends are like, but surely you're talking her out of that. I mean, of course, that would be an unwise thing to do. Why would you put your daughter in danger? Why would you allow her to pursue something like that? You know, especially for a daughter, for a girl, that's just dangerous. Um, I hope you're doing all you can to convince her out of that. I mean, that isn't wise. And your answer would be like, well, actually, we're just praying that she would listen for God's voice. And we're, we're walking on this journey. And maybe she does that. Maybe she studies somewhere else. Maybe she goes on to do something else. But what's most important to us as a parent is that she lives out God's call. The person would be like, what do you mean? Living for a different kingdom. As parents, we raise our kids to live for a different kingdom. That might mean business. That might mean sport. But our heart set as parents is saying, actually, what's God saying to you? Let's, let's think what God's saying to you and let's live this out as families. Maybe it's uh, a holiday and uh, you're planning on going away in August and, and other friends are off to Europe and, uh, and, and, and so friends are here and friends are there. And uh, there happens to be this youth camp. It's actually happened in our family. So I'll, that's why I'm sharing the story. There happens to be this youth camp on that smack bang in the middle of the holidays. And your kids are like, but we just so want to be on it. And so as parents, you now go, well, we had planned this amazing trip to Europe, but our kids really want to be on this camp. Um, okay, well, actually, let's postpone the Europe trip. Let's make a juggle. Maybe we'll just do something around Zim so that our kids can go on this camp. True story. has happened in our family. Um, and, and, and so most friends would be saying, but what do you mean? 
I mean, why, why possibly would you think of, of postponing a trip like that or doing something different because your, your kids want to go to a youth camp? Why would you do that? Living for a different kingdom. You know, um, my parents didn't get everything right, but I know the one thing they said is they said, if you guys want to go to church on a Sunday night, which was the happening thing, then if you want to go to youth group on a Friday, if you want to go on a camp, we don't care the sacrifice, we're there. Doesn't matter the cost. We're there because that's the most important thing for you. I think as parents, we've tried to live this out, Sarah and I living this out, but we've really got to be careful as parents to go, are we actually instilling a kingdom life in our children? Or are we actually raising them to live in darkness and trying to spark a little bit of light here and there? It's a big challenge. We need to ask ourselves on that. Last few, we've got two minutes. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, maybe having a conversation and people are like, it's just so good how the world's progressing. It's so much better. People have choice. You know, they can choose if they want to be a guy or a girl, you know, the, so they don't have to struggle on that. Or it's just so unlucky that that lady fell pregnant, but at least abortion's legal in this country and it's legal in this country. So she can make a plan. I mean, you know, it's just so unfortunate that she just somehow miraculously fell pregnant. Um, you, you know, we need to keep the doorways open for these poor girls. Uh, we're so happy that the world's moving away from the old-fashioned way of life. I've had these conversations, have them often with people, just so happy this progression. We don't live old-fashioned anymore. So happy that Zim is becoming a different place and it's not behind the rest of the world anymore. Comes a time then where you sort of, sort of have to make a decision to say, well, actually, I believe a, a boy and a girl are created by God. I actually believe he makes people male and female from birth and actually... I believe life is sacred. And so regardless of how the pregnancy came about, actually that child is prepared by God and has a place in this world. And so actually now I believe in life. And you have this awkward conversation with people, but it's light in the darkness. It's showing a different way. It's showing the way of life. It's hard conversations. Maybe you have this. I've, I've, I've heard of this happening in Harari circles. It's terrifying. But, you know, maybe some friends going like, but why did you invite that girl to our, our kid's party? I mean, she's on the other side of the railway tracks. I've got to be careful where I say those are, so I won't mention road names. But, uh, you know, <laughs> or, or, or where their kid goes to school. But, but it's like, um, I, know pe- I know people, I think it probably happens in guys' circles, but I know in our sort of circles, I know ladies with kids where literally they'll go to parties. And as they walk through, most definitely they aren't in the, the certain huddle. And those ladies will actually turn their shoulders so that they keep their group of five conversation as those people walk up. I've seen this, I know it happens. But there can be those conversations of even those whispers, but like, why did that person get invited? I mean, they're not one of your friends. They're kind of a bit strange. They might have a different skin color or they're, they're kind of a little bit lower class, you know. They're kind of not in our sort of circles. They live beyond that road, you know. They're not in the golden triangle type family. Time for those tough conversations. Are we showing a different way? Jesus did. He loved those who were different. He called the tax collector into the kingdom of God. He associated with the outcast. He welcomed the broken. He spent time with races considered lower. He calls us to do the same for the sake of his kingdom, for light in the darkness. And will we be those people who live that openness to anyone and to everyone? So as we close, coming into land, it says there at the end, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus is calling each of us to influence society wherever we go. That final challenge is to let the light of God's kingdom within us emanate out of us in such a way that people can't help but see Christ. So it isn't just about doing good in the world. 
Lots of people do good. There's amazing do-gooders in the world. What differentiates the goodness that a Christ follower can bring and the goodness that someone who doesn't know Christ who can bring is that one will point people to a living relationship with Jesus. That's the difference in it. For our actions to make people stop and ask, why on earth is that person prepared to do that for someone else? And I've often asked God, God, would you lead me to those kind of deeds? And if you lead me to them, would you give me the courage to live them out and act on them? Many times I've said no to him in my heart when I feel he's earmarked a person to do something for or Many times I've been like, no, I'm busy, or no, no, that's too much of a cost. But what are the good deeds God's calling you and I to that will make people stop and go, there's something different about that person? Let the Holy Spirit lead you. I want you to know that when you ask God to give you opportunities to point people to him, to do good that points people to him, it's a prayer he'll answer. He'll speak to you clearly. But as a warning, these good deeds may be off the wall. They may be so costly and so otherworldly that they scare you. They may be so cross-cultural, so radically a display of love, so extreme an act of generosity that you want to shy away. But if you just step in faith, if you act into that, what you see God do in those moments will be astounding. It could be a small moment of talking to someone. It could be a massive act of generosity. It could be a radical step in a relationship. But Jesus will use you as he leads you in that to bring people hope. Friends, we've got family, acquaintances, work colleagues, maybe you're here today, who are on the wide open highway to hell, and it's a highway. Many people are going down it. Many people are happily driving on the highway to hell. They're on the fast track to eternal destruction, and some don't even know it. They may be nice people. They may be good people. But without Jesus, all of us don't have an eternal hope. We have to have him. And so God calls us as salt and light to lovingly and clearly show people the exit road to the road that's a lot narrower, that's a lot rockier, that doesn't look as great. It's the road less traveled, but it is the only path to life. And you might be on the highway today. This is the first time you're hearing that Jesus is alive and he calls you to follow him. Maybe today you're living for yourself with Jesus as a genie. And today's your day to get off the highway that leads to destruction, the wide, open, easy highway to eternal separation from God and make a decision to go down that faith-filled winding path, but it's the path to life. It doesn't look as attractive. It might look like a bit rocky. You can't see as far in the distance, but can I tell you when you take that step, it's thrilling. It's an adventure and it's true life, and we want to help people get on that path. Should we stand? We'll pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you call us to be salt and to be light. You call us to be a people who help preserve kingdom culture and who bring flavor to a world in desperate need of your joy and of your life. I thank you that you call us to be light that brings an impact, that brings a, an, a, an excitement, a, a change in the atmosphere and directs people to truth and life to the pathway, to the narrow pathway that leads people off the highway to hell and on the pathway to life. I pray for each of us right now, wherever we are on the journey of faith, that we would take a step today to be salt and light, to make a commitment to live for what matters most. You'll know God calling you. You'll know if you're living lukewarm. You'll know if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus before. You'll know where you stand. That's how good the Holy Spirit is. But Holy Spirit, I pray that each of us wouldn't remain stagnant in our faith. 
you'd help us to take a step forward today. It might be signing up to join a connect group, to connect with Christ followers in the week. It might be to join the marriage um, alpha, to build into our marriages. It might be to give generously to the kingdom because we just don't do that. We've never believed in that until now. It might be for the first time to give our lives to you to say, Jesus, I'm actively taking a step off the highway to hell today. I believe in you. I believe you're alive. Would you change me? Would you make heaven my home? Would you come into my heart? In an instant, he'll make you a son and a daughter of the living God. Whatever that step is, step boldly. Do it in your heart. Do it actively if you need to. Do it in seeking prayer from some of the leaders afterwards, but take a step. The Holy Spirit's always calling us to more. We're often the ones who put on the brakes and say, actually, no, 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 I, I, I'm not ready for this. Take a step of faith. You'll be astounded at what he does. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you that you're the one who changes us. Thank you that you're the one who transforms us. Thank you that you're the one who does the work. You're a God full of grace like we sang today. But we want to be a people of obedience who live a kingdom life that you've called us to. In your name we pray. Amen.